Welcome to the flyfisher.co.za podcasts. Well, we got through to episode four. It might be a little bit late. Um, next week in Cape Town, so I'm going to try and get this edited and put it onto the website this week and then just switch it on on Thursday or Friday. I hope you guys are enjoying them. Please keep on giving me comments and feedback. i got Mark Yellen ready to rock and roll next week. And uh, I've got a couple of other interesting interviews lined up. Uh, I've got Murray Pedler coming on and talk about some fly tying and aspects and interludes. And I've got some FOSA stuff that uh, we're going to discuss. I'm hoping to get to speak to a few guys in Cape Town while I'm down there. And let's see if I can get any of the big names to uh, have a chat to this. On this evening's podcast, a little bit technical, trying to get a bit of uh, insight into tigerfish, understand them, uh, know them a bit better, so that when we do run up there for them, we're a little bit more prepared. I know not many of us get up and go and fish for tigers as often as we want to. I'm just trying to give you a bit more help so that when you do get there, you have a great time. I think the area is stunning, and I wouldn't mind spending a couple of weeks in the Zambezi fishing for tigers. Uh, I'm hoping that uh, I get up there pretty soon. I'd like to welcome Francois Boerter to the podcast. Thank you, Mike. Thanks for having me. Francois, we know you've done quite a lot of freshwater fishing, especially for tigers. But I ask everybody this. How did you get into fishing? Mike, I started fishing at about the age of three when my father taught me how to fish conventionally in in salt waters, uh, mainly on the northern coast of Natal. And I also started fishing for freshwater fish such as trout and other species like bass at a slightly later stage, about the age of five or six or so. Okay, and when did you start fly fishing? I mean, you started very young into conventional stuff. Yeah, Mike, I think that fishing's always been very important for me, and it has always been a, a favorite pastime of mine. You know, when kids would run around beaches playing around, I would be somewhere in a rock pool fishing for small fish in, 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 uh, on little pieces of bait and sod and whatever. Uh, the fly fishing came at a later stage when I was in high school. A friend of mine had a farm out in Dahlstrom, and we went out for the weekend. Uh, I taught myself how to cast, basically, because there was no help from him. Yeah. And, yeah, that's where it started. I mean, after that weekend, the very next day, I drove to a tackle shop, bought my first outfit for about 300 rand or so, and uh, forced my parents to take me fly fishing. I know you've been around, and your experience has taken you across the oceans. You did a reefers course. Why don't you tell us a bit about your fly fishing history? Yeah, since, uh, since I started fly fishing, I've always been drawn to the, uh, to the trade. I have worked in several local uh, fly fishing shops uh, from about the age of 17 or so when I started okay. fishing. The, uh, you know, I would get holiday jobs and so uh, working for people like Marshall Yelland, Mark Yelland. Okay. I then uh, traveled abroad after school before my studies and I once again ended up in the fly fishing tackle trade okay. where I worked for the House of Hardy on Pall Mall in London. I spent a, a year there working That's for a them. tough gig, yeah. <laughs> I think I was very fortunate to, <laughs> yeah. to, to have gotten that job. It, it taught me a lot. Uh, and yeah, so when I came back, I started a business while I was studying my degree at Trans Afrikaans University, which also involved fishing. Yeah, we were doing uh, recreational fishery management. 
And it was during that stage that I realized that the guiding scene or that uh, that kind of service industry was really for me. And after working for Frontier Fly Fishing for a part-time for about three or so years, uh, I finally became a permanent member of staff at the beginning of last year, which was 2007. Okay. The reefers course I did during my guiding stints and so I, I felt it quite important to become accredited. There are various reasons or various, uh, let's say, benefits of doing that. Mainly to get onto the legal side of things, yeah. as, uh, as you may know. And I found the, found the reefers course uh, was a very good course, taught me quite a lot. And uh, I would certainly advise it for any other guides uh, or any other people that wanted to enter the profession. Okay, I know you're a proficient caster. Is that one of the things that you learned there? Well, yes, I must say my casting abilities were put to the test in a very big way. They were very strict on that, uh, amongst other things. Uh, but uh, I'd say that your entomological studies, bird life studies, and general knowledge of rivers and so were also reiterated on the, uh, on the course. And uh, I think I hugely benefited not only from the kind of expertise or, or skill that I, that I conveyed to the testers, Fred Steinberg and his partner Mario Dupreer, but I think they also taught me a lot. Okay. I know you're quite well-traveled. You've been to the Seychelles guiding. I know we're going to talk about what you've done through southern and sub-Saharan Africa. Where else have you fished? Well, Mike, as you've, as you've mentioned, I have fished uh, Seychelles, a place that I'd like to call home, <laughs> Cosmolido. It truly is a, a place where I think I would, uh, I would have my ashes spread one day, cool. should somebody afford to go out there to do that for me. Uh, Mexico, I've fished Scotland, England, Mauritius, the Camores. Uh, I've also fished in all of our neighboring states to southern, southern Africa, Namibia, Zambia, Zimbabwe, Botswana, and Mozambique. And then I've also been up to Kenya. Yeah. Before we get into the tiger fish, you, you've done quite a lot of uh, yellowfish fishing, um, largemouth yellows. Yes, I have. Uh, we, it's, uh, it's a passion of mine. Uh, you know, the largemouth yellow is considered to be a fairly new uh, target species on fly for some. Mm. Uh, lots of uh, the mystery of decoding them, etc. I think also uh, almost um, support. It's, it's kind of very interesting, you know, uh, being at the forefront of uh, you know, developing new techniques for, for yeah. catching these fish, yeah. finding them, and mm. yeah. Decoding us. Okay, so let's get into the tiger bit because uh, I know a lot of people want to know about it. Not a lot of people run up there for tigers. Uh, so let's start off with the simple stuff. What kind of rods are we going to take? Uh, reels, lines? Well, I'd say basically what you'd want to do is considering tiger fish are very strong, uh, fast running fish, mm -hmm. and generally your flies are a little bit bigger. Uh, they warrant about a 7 to 9 weight rod, yeah. depending on where you're fishing, mm -hmm. uh, with a, an equally good reel uh, with a good drag system. Okay. Those would be your two most important things. All right, are you fishing floating lines or sinking lines, sink tips? You generally fish fast sinking lines. I'd say 90% of your fishing is done with fast sinking lines. Mm -hmm. You tend to retrieve quite fast, so your lines don't run as deep on intermediates or floating as they would on fast sinking. You can also fish intermediate shallower drifts, sanded uh, substrate rivers, mm -hmm. etc. The mm -hmm. intermediates are quite handy. And then uh, fishing floating, uh, floating line with uh, popping type or surface type flies mm -hmm. has also proven very, uh, very successful. Okay, so let's get into the flies. What, what kind of selection are we going to look at? 
Well, I'd say fly-wise, there are a few more traditional flies, such as your clouds and minnows, mm-hmm. that work really well. Obviously, the color patterns are, is what differs majorly from the saltwater patterns. Your color patterns are generally very bright, hot orange type uh, flies. But nowadays, the more natural colored flies, like your greys and olives, are working really well mm-hmm. because of the influx of bait fish into systems during certain times of year. Yeah. Uh, big zonker type flies also seem to work really well their movement uh, is very good and you know a few other things like your tiger deceiver which is basically a, a very brightly colored deceiver fly just tied on a slightly different hook okay. those are very good floating flies generally things like crease flies flippers there's a, a fly that I developed called the tiger skeet and uh, your intermediate flies generally also uh, clouds and minnows, uh, rabbit strip or zonker strip flies, uh, and your various deceiver type patterns. I've seen some of the flies you've tied, and I find them quite sparse in comparison to a saltwater pattern. Is there a particular reason for that? Yeah, I w- I've actually been debating about whether the sparseness of the flies uh, is that important. Uh, you know, your sparser type tied flies are are better because the fish are actually attuned to the smaller fish or the smaller bait fish in channels. I think that if you're going to be fishing during summertime or so when there aren't as many fish in, uh, or little bait fish and so in, in, in the channels, your bigger, say, more lavishly dressed flies uh, tend to work quite well. Whereas if you're fishing during your floodplain fishing or so during your feeding frenzies and so, the sparse flies do, do seem to have the upper hand. Okay, so you touched on something there. You said time of year, and um, I'd like you to lead into what kind of clothing you take for those appropriate times of year. So when do you go up and fish for your tigers? Well, the, the best time or the season, tiger fish season on your Zambezi River generally stretches from around March, April to October, November, depending on where on the Zambezi. Because of your seasonality, obviously during your March, April months and your October, September, October and November months, you get warmer weather, whereas in your winter months you generally get slightly cooler weather. But the days are still relatively hot. The days are still relatively hot. That's why you wear uh, technical clothing, as we'd like to refer to it, you know, well-ventilated long sleeve cotton shirts or mm-hmm. your poly cotton shirts that tend to dry very quickly mm-hmm. with technical clothing shorts and long pants the uh, that's generally just to give you protection from the sun as a as a base layer something that you can wear even in the in the in the, in the heat of the day and then as you fish or venture into the winter months what you want to do is you want to cover yourself in layers that you can then take off as the day progresses and as the day heats up uh, you know, then what you'd also want to do is, is, is other things, your buffs and sun gloves, uh, stripping guards for your fingers, those are important. Uh, I also find that on the boats or fishing for tiger fish, you generally fish off boats. So slip-on shoes or comfortable shoes for the boats are preferential purely because you don't really need something with a lot of support or with a hell of a lot of grip. But what you do need to do is you need to be able to take your shoes off so that when you're fishing and stripping line onto the deck of the boat or so, fishing with bare feet, you can actually you can feel the feel line. You can feel if you're standing on the line. Yeah. And it's very frustrating fishing with huge chunky boots, such as your hiking boots or something like that, and then getting snagged all the time and not realizing that you are standing on your yeah. line. So that's a, a good tip. If it's very cold during winter or so, you know, just wearing a pair of socks also helps. Uh, you can still feel your line relatively well on your feet, but then the socks obviously just add a bit of protection from the cold. 
and in summer r- uh, running socks even protect your feet from the sun a little bit okay what boats are you guys fishing from well uh, certain parts of the river uh, have you know they use different boats i'd say that your more rocky areas and more remote areas on the zambezi the guys tend to to use more fiberglass uh, bottom boats mm-hmm. this is just for uh, repairs you know they they easily repair mm-hmm. etc but they're quite heavy so your floodplains and so areas and uh, areas on the Zambezi that generally more accessible uh, with a better infrastructure, the guys really prefer aluminium boats. Uh, and I also find them to be a lot better to fish from because they're very light, they use less fuel, and you need smaller motors to run them. Okay. Let's just think about how we get up there. I mean, we're sitting in South Africa. Um, fly up and, and lodges, the, the places that you go to, will they have little strips there? Preferably, you'd like to fly uh, internationally to a place like Livingston or, or some international airport that's in close proximity to the area that you will fish. Mm-hmm. Uh, this just makes your transfers uh, a little bit easier and a bit cheaper. Some places do warrant uh, charter flights, and you know when you start using charter flights, it becomes a little bit more expensive. Those then obviously land much closer to the lodges on private or small airstrips uh, that handle anything from caravan planes uh, down to small barrens, three, four, five seaters. Mm-hmm. Okay. And you can have everything from zero star all the way through to five? Yeah, I must say, you know, it, it largely depends on the client and what they want. I think within any area on the Zambezi, you'll always find cheaper or more expensive or more luxurious accommodation. But also, be warned, if you are going on a fishing trip, and the lodge is charging you anything less than 250 US dollars a day. Ask, what are they skimping on? Okay. You know, there are too many lodges out there that have inappropriate boats, you know, old motors that don't run well. Something's missing. Something's not there. Either there's no electricity or, or, or something. So be very wary. Out there in the sticks, it's, uh, running a lodge, even a tented camp, is an expensive exercise. And you should always, as a fisherman, make sure that the boats, petrol, etc. isn't going to be an issue. After that, I think that if you've got good fishing and you've got good access to the fishing, things like your accommodation so are add-ons. And uh, there you can spend anything of up to five to six hundred US dollars per person per sure. night. Yeah, okay. So we've, we've covered what you need. We've covered how to get in and get out. And we've covered like one of the pitfalls. Let's get into the seriously technical stuff. Where do you find tigers? Um, what are they chasing? What are they feeding on? Well, Ma- Mike, that's quite a... Uh, you know, you'll have to divide the Zambezi into various areas or sections, uh, mainly upper, middle, and lower Zambezi. Uh, you know, each section has a different kind of substrate and feature, and the lower Zambezi is very different to the rest as it has now become a tailwater since uh, there is a, a big dam wall that um, has Kariba Dam that, or that basically holds Kariba Dam. It's interesting for people who don't know that the Kariba has another dam below it, which is Kohorabasa. So Correct, you, yes. You've actually got a section of river between the two, and then you've got the section below Kohorabasa. Correct. Well, if, we, if you want to look at river fishing in general for tiger fish, the Zambezi is a very fast-flowing river. So you can then go and divide river fishing into two different categories, uh, narrow or fast-flowing water or your more laminated uh, or laminar-flowing water uh, considered to be floodplains or yeah. channels, meandering yeah. channels. And I forgot, sorry, I also forgot to mention you've got the Vic Falls, which is another barrier. So you actually have three massive barriers on one yeah. piece of water. 
And little known to people, there is a fourth barrier called Sioma Falls, which is uh, higher up on, on the Upper Zambezi River. A place I don't like to talk about too much because uh, I kind of like the fact that I don't bump into too many people up there. <laughs> so, yes, four major barriers, I'd say. And, you know, within those or between those barriers, the river changes its characteristics quite a lot. Like I've said, you get river and still water fishing. Mm. Okay, so we've got four different sections to the, to the river. Yeah. Let's talk about what happens in the fast water and the rapids areas. Well, in the fast water and the rapids, you generally have a substrate or bottom uh, of hard rock and clay. And your depths aren't as, as big and your depths vary hugely between holes Big current breakers, big rocks, pinnacles, and drop-offs, okay. and deep channels. Are you then searching for fish holding on these areas? Well, the tiger fish in these sections of river tend to congregate on the edges of currents, current seams, just over deeper pools, and so uh, very much like other river fish would. It's a it's a predatory fish. As, I mean, it's, there's no doubt. When you look at its dentures, it's a predatory fish. So what they do is they, they do like to ambush as well. I wouldn't say that you could compare them to a bass, which holds to structure. Tigerfish actually moves around quite a lot. They are territorial, but within their territories, they do patrol a, a fairly extensive area, even in the fast water. They will at times move into fast waters and then move out of them again, move into current seams and out. Okay. Are you stripping... Down and across? Is it upstream? Are you? I have found that generally your success rate when fishing upstream for tiger fish uh, is diminished. Mm -hmm. Uh, It is a little bit unnatural that any fast retrieved fly or so get retrieved past the tiger coming from upstream. Direction. Uh, Fishing across generally works very well, and you tend to get your line down uh, a little bit better. And then I have actually found that the most success is when you're fishing downstream of your boat. But you do have a few limiting or conditional factors, such as are you anchored and how fast is the current. If you're drifting, fishing across is very good because you do get ample depth and your retrieve rate can be, you can vary your retrieve rate quite a bit Mm -hmm. and still maintain a good depth when you're fishing. Fishing downstream of the boat, generally what happens is you'll be anchored or you'll be moving slower than the current. Mm -hmm. And... Well, this poses a few problems, especially for attaining the right depth and for actually being in contact with the fly sometimes. So, uh, you know, there the skipper is a, is a very important part of the fishing process. Okay, so that's that's the fast-moving waters around rapids. Then yeah. you get to your uh, linear or linear flow. La- more laminar flow, yes. More channeled or, I'd say, meandering type rivers. This is... This is more, you know, of what, more floodplain fishing. I mean, guys, guys might be familiar with the Caprivi floodplain. Mm-hmm. And in this case, what you have is you've got a, you've got a very low drop uh, in river or a very, very, very low river gradient. And there's a lot of flow in amongst sandbanks and clay banks with very few rock structures. Mm-hmm. And the different depths in the river don't, it doesn't vary as much. Mm-hmm. Uh, what you what you do there essentially is you're fishing over times of the year when there's an influx of bait fish into the system, okay. and you get these big feeding frenzies. If you do manage to get one of these feeding frenzies, it, it doesn't really matter what you do. It seems like you just catch lots of fish. <laughs> you know, permitting you've got a, 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 a fly on that's got a hook attached to it. So, you know, in in these cases, you tend to fish down and across, or across. Uh, and the fish seem to be a bit more uh, don't seem to be as discerning 
as to which fly they take or not. <laughs> but what's actually happened on the Low Zambezi, which is a... Uh, I didn't ever know, and I don't know how many people used to visit or fish the, the, the Lower Zambezi before the construction of Kariba Dam. Uh, that used to be a big floodplain, and I think that the, the fishing was very similar there as on the Caprivi in, in previous years. But you know, since it's become a tailwater, it's been controlled. And there it seems like these phenomena, like these bait fish phenomena, and so don't take place anymore. Mm-hmm. And it seems like the fish there are a lot more fussy as to which flies they take. They tend to be bigger, uh, especially in the areas surrounding your Lower Zambezi National Park and your Mana Pools area, where the conservation efforts of both Zambian and Zimbabwean government have been extraordinary in reviving uh, the wildlife and everything and, 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 and banning all commercial fishing and local fishing uh, uh, altogether. So it would seem that the that the system itself itself is very healthy and isn't threatened at all. But you know the the problem there is that the, the natural course of the river has been disturbed. So with that has gone uh, quite a few other things, such as the annual influx of large amounts of bait fish into the system, etc. That would actually make your fly fishing a bit easier. Okay. Well, that brings me to the last one of the three different areas is the the still water portion to it. I'm not a great stillwater man. I, I do do some and I enjoy it. But I know that, that tigers and stillwater is a different kettle of fish altogether. Yes, Mike, I haven't fished stillwater tigers very much. Lake Jazini, which is actually a very good local fishery for tiger fish, I have fished before and, and we've had variable success there. Obviously, it's not as... as uh, I wouldn't say that the biomass or so there, or maybe, maybe the tiger fish there just don't grow as big or as many of them. But uh, the stillwater can produce some good fish, and up at Kariba, you know, there are some really big fish on the stillwaters. The only thing that I that I don't like about it is that uh, it's I find it harder to read stillwaters than rivers. Probably easier to fish because it's mindlessly casting blindly at whatever it is that you're True. fishing for. But uh, you know, finding drop-offs again on fish finders, etc., and fishing, but. What's also happened in Kariba is they've had this capenta uh, phenomenon, mm. whereas capenta were introduced to the dam, and usually when the tiger fish, not very big, were isolated to small bays uh, and near the sides, the capenta, which now congregates in masses in the middle of the dam even, right. has ensured a very big food source for the fish there. So you'll find that the stillwater tigers have got very big bodies and very small heads, and so, so as they've got a lot of food available to them, but it also makes them more difficult to catch, more difficult to find and then to catch as well. And uh, not, that I've, uh, not that I've witnessed it, but I do believe that chumming with capenta uh, and bringing the fish closer to the surface and your very deep holes in the dam uh, is the norm for catching the, the much bigger fish. And it's, a, you know, it's the kind of thing that, that I would actually avoid doing as a fly fisherman since I believe, you know, my true love lies in the river yep. with, uh, where the water's moving and, and I feel uh, maybe I'm a little bit more involved with the fishing there than at a still water. I think you've covered all of those quite nicely. Let's just go into some of the terminal bit because it, I know it varies depending on where you're fishing. For those people who have seen a picture of a tiger fish, is wire a necessity? Well, Mike, I would say wire is a necessity. These fish have extremely sharp teeth, and they can obviously sever nylon very easily, especially when it's under tension. Also, they run so fast and hard, it's hardly it's hard to not have tension on the line when once it sees your fly very, uh, very aggressively and makes its run away from you. 
uh, a new school of thought has arisen uh, in the last few years, and that is fishing wireless for these tiger fish. So you'll instead of using your standard piano wire, as they'd like to call it, or mono wire, we're ranging from about the 20 to 30 pound breaking strain, or the nylon coated wire, also 20 to 30 pound breaking strain. People have started using clear monofilament uh, in the 30 to 50, even 60 pound breaking strain. The reasoning behind this thus far has been that it increases the strike rate and on a, on a lower level what it also does is it's, it's easier to fish with. As you might know, your mono wires and your nylon coated wires have uh, each have their own characteristics that either make them pigtail once they've been wrapped around a branch or something like that, or once a fish has bitten them and they've been angled, but maybe there's been a bit of tension on the on the wire and then it was angled around a fish's mouth, which gives it a kink that's very hard to get out. So setting up again and reattaching flies and straightening wire and so is the bane of any fly fisherman's existence. Okay. You know, you've got to mention, together with your techniques of wire and wireless, you've got to mention the tiger fish in its mouth. And, it's, and, the, and what happens is, there's a school of thought that says you have to strike the fly very hard. The sole reason being that the tigerfish has an exceptionally bony mouth and there's very little flesh that your hooks can actually hook into and keep the tigerfish on during its very fast and powerful runs. Mm. So if, if you were to use wire or any of the wires, uh, before mentioned wires, then you no- notice that you can actually strike the tigerfish very hard upon seizure of the fly because... Even if that wire is angled over one of his teeth, it won't cut through the wire. Whereas the, with wireless, what happens is you can't actually strike the fish hard. In fact, you shouldn't strike the fish at all. Uh, when the fish seizes the fly, you've basically got to let out line, let him turn and run away from you, and just keep minimal amount of tension on the line. So as not to cut the line on his teeth. Yeah, just maintain pressure. To maintain pressure, but your problem there is that you, don't, you, you might not get to set that hook properly. Yeah, I think the wireless debate has been going on for a while now, and I don't know if we'll ever get to a conclusive po- point on it. Let's go down, if, uh, if it's my first time going up to the Zambezi, what should I do? I know that I'm going to go wide because I, I'm, I'm not going to want to go wide. So what's going to happen is I'm going to get out, I'm going to make a couple of costs, let's hope that I hook one. How do I fight it? What do I do? How does it run? Once you cover your bases concerning tackle and venue, obviously when you start fishing, you want to locate the fish. Now, from there on, I think that there's only one proper way to do it, and that is that, you know, after a cast, whether it be across or downstream, your retrieve should be fairly fast. Uh, You can vary this from either a a, a double-handed underarm retrieve. How far from the bottom are you? Uh, Let's say we're in a four meters meters of water. Well, I think it's difficult to to say exactly how how deep you are. We'd all like to be fishing three meters deep if we were, if the if the depth of the water was four. Yeah. But I think that once you start retrieving and the strength of the current is Zambezi, you'd be lucky if you get deeper than one. Sure. So uh, it's one of those things. Unfortunately, you never really know how deep you are fishing and what your fly is doing. Okay. But. So your nice retrieve rate, retrieve. I think, is, is very important. Uh, tigerfish, being an aggressive fish, likes or does seem to prefer a faster retrieve. However, when the fishing's slow or when the cold pressure, uh, a low pressure system or so moves in, you, uh, you tend to fish a little bit slower. Mm-hmm. Uh, almost make it a bit easier for the fish to grab the fly. But in the heat of summer and during your feeding frenzies, and I would say in 
In about 80% of your fishing scenarios for tigerfish, you'll be using a fast retrieve, either underarm uh, retrieve with both hands, or you'll be using a long strip retrieve. Okay. Uh, yeah. And uh, you know to go to get your fly moving. Once the tigerfish seizes your fly, it's very important to keep your rod down. This is very similar to tarpon fishing. Because of your tiger fish's uh, acrobatics, because of its hard mouth, its hard bony mouth, and it's hard to set the fly initially, it's important to keep the rod down. This is for a few reasons. Firstly, if your line is out of the water and you've got a lot of tension on it, any shock wave, either from angler's side or from fish's side, gets transported through that line. Now what this does is it actually vacillates between having tension on the fish and releasing tension on the fish. Mm -hmm. And this can momentarily dislodge a hook that might have only been uh, marginally hooked into uh, the little bit of soft flesh in the tiger's mouth. Or I mean the tip of the fly might have just been balancing on a bone in the tiger's mouth. And this can sometimes just cause the release of, of, of the tiger's mouth. So understanding a tiger's jaw is a lot of bone. You set that hook quite hard. When, when he hits, you hit him hard as well. Well, it's, the thing with with hitting him hard is, you know, how to hit him hard. You know, if you lift your rod, you're almost definitely going to lose that fish. And uh, it's very important keeping the rod down. And it's important if you are using wire to give him one or two hard hits. Uh, you'll know when, if you've set the hook properly or not. Um, and generally, what happens is the minute you set the hook and that tiger feels the pressure from your line and feels its inability to get rid of the hook, it will jump. Once you get past the first jump, the initial take and the first jump or run, you're generally 30% there. After that, again, important to keep your rod down and to, fish the, to, to fight the fish with the rod down uh, purely because of its acrobatics, etc. And again, a similar principle as fishing for top and fish, to bow your rod, to keep your rod down when the fish is jumping purely because of those shock waves that get sent up and down your taut line. Okay. Um, so, so let's just go through a quick fight of the tiger. So let's uh, hook into a six-pound tiger, which is a reasonable size fish. Yeah, six pounds is a good fish. They, they tend to be very feisty, and they've got just enough body to, to give you a run into your backing. Okay, so I hook one. What's the fight going to be? Well, uh, we've got a saying with tigers uh, that says, uh, big engine, small fuel tank. Yeah, you'll experience a very hard hit, followed by an extremely fast and if if it's a bigger fish than six pounds, an extremely powerful run, followed by a jump. Uh, during this time, obviously, very important to keep your cool. Then a second run might not be as long or as hard as his first run, also followed by a leap. Once this happens, generally uh, the fun is over. Then, then comes the nervous moments. Have I hooked it properly? Uh, you know, is, is it going to stay on? Uh, bringing it closer to the boat. The tiger fish often changes angles on you, and you've got to try and keep the line away from his mouth as he changes angles on the line. Some, some tigers take the, the hook really deep, and uh, you've got to try and get the, get the tiger in as quickly as possible before he chews to an all through any line. Another important thing about the tigerfish and striking a tigerfish when it takes your fly is that because it's got those interlocked teeth, if you're fishing with bulky flies or flies with big heads such as clousers or anything like that, there is a chance that that tiger will seize that fly. You will hit him once or twice and that fly will actually move nowhere in its mouth because 
it's pushing up against its interlocked teeth. Mm. So With the dumbbell eyes. So now and, and, and the tiger fish is an extremely aggressive fish. So what you'll find sometimes so he is he'll let go. He doesn't let go of that fly. So he turns and runs, and you hit him once, twice, three times, rod down or straight strip, and and you've hit him really hard. At which at which point in time he jumps, and a tiger fish opens its mouth the first time when it jumps. Yeah, and when he jumps for the first time, uh, it, it looks like he literally spits that fly back at you. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you just have to get lucky. Sometimes you are just unlucky. So what's the hit rate? I would say you're having a good day if you if you land sixty percent of your of your hits. Oh, I thought um, it was a lot lower than that. Well, I think you'll be having an average day if you're only landing about thirty percent of your hits. Okay, I thought that's about the number. That's about the number. Yeah. All right. So, where do you normally go? I, I know we spoke about the Zambezi Basin, but I thought that was the easiest one to talk about. Um, uh, what uh, venues do you enjoy? Well, Mike, I think from from when I started fishing for tiger fish, um, that's been, I think that was about around 2003, I've explored pretty much all of the Zambezi River from high on the upper Zambezi down to the lower Zambezi near Kaborabasa. Uh, my favorite spots uh, remain secret, <laughs> but <laughs> no, not really. We, you know, I think that the floodplains are very good. Uh, during certain times of the year, those floodplains just produce more fish and good-sized fish than anywhere else. Okay. The lower Zambezi, purely from an aesthetic point of view and from a size point of view, is probably the nicest. Why? Well, I, I know we can see elephants and buck and stuff on yeah. the banks. Is that the game viewing from the The game viewing is there is just phenomenal. You know, I think that it's got the highest concentration of hippos in the world, something ridiculous, like 84 hippos per kilometer of river. Sure. There are constantly buffalo crossing rivers, elephants cro- crossing river, rivers. Uh, we've seen uh, lion kill from the, ba- from the boats. Uh, and the fish there tend to be very big, but they're a bit more challenging to catch, as I mentioned. But the, the upper but stretches of the river, are they The upper not? stretches are very good. I must say, we've recently gone up to a place called the Barotsi floodplains. And this has been a place uh, that I have tried to, to get to fish for about the last four or five years, as long as I've been fishing for tiger fish. Mm. You know, there were murmurs of the giant fish of the Barotsi floodplains and so on. For about the last four years or so, I've been trying to get up there, and I was astonished at the at the fish up there. It was almost like a completely different fish. They were they had big bodies, just like your river, like your like your stillwater fish, mm. but they had these huge heads and these huge tails, just like your river fish. Sure, they had almost these yellow tainted bellies, and yeah. uh, you know, I mean, we caught. Four fish on fly over 14 pounds, biggest one being 15 and a half. And this was, yeah, yeah and and this was actually during a, a very bad low pressure system that settled uh, on the in the area on our arrival. And uh, the fishing was a bit tough, but the fishing still turned out to be better than any tiger fishing I've ever done. Sure, so I can't imagine what it would be like up there uh, during your summer months. But you know, the area reputable for having the biggest tiger fish in the world I think that if you look at the IGFA record books Mm. you'll notice that the area called Tiger Camp uh, holds more than 80% of the lion class records for tiger fish on both fly and conventional tackle and uh, also other species like your Nembwe and three spot green species 
this uh, area uh, has only about two lodges in the whole area, and the Capri and the Barotsi floodplain is about three times the size of the Caprivi floodplain. Sure. Uh, so it's a very exclusive venue, and I mean the, the camp that we visited is just open, so it's uh, the whole, the fishery is almost at the, is almost a new fishery. Mm. So it's yeah, it's very productive and very good. So yes, obviously my favourite place at the moment on the Zambezi. Yeah, I've heard a rumour that you're going to be dragging yourself off to the Congo, and I look forward to interviewing you on your return. I've had a dream about going up to the the Congo River and catch Goliath tiger on fly. As far as I know, it hasn't been done before on fly. It will certainly pose a very big challenge. You know, the Congo River is the second largest river in the world. At some places, it uh, spans more than three or four kilometers wide. Sure. Uh, so it pretty much looks like you're fishing a still water. However, you're drifting at about twelve knots downstream. Sure. And uh, you know, the tiger fish, the Goliath tiger fish. You know, with, whereas his his cousin, the one that we're used to catching, uh, the normal tiger fish, has a, a maximum. A size of, of around between 10 and 15 kilos, whereas your your Goliath tiger fish regularly goes over 50 kilos. Yes. So, um, so I'm very excited about this trip, and we're going up there for about two weeks to, to attempt this. Okay, time is moving on us. Can you give me some thoughts on conservation for yellowfish in South Africa? Yeah, conservation for yellowfish is a very important thing. It is our um, indigenous species, and I would say that it makes up a very large part of our recreational fly fishing in South Africa. Most importantly, I think, are the larger industries and so that are dumping heavy metals uh, in the river systems or and raw sewage dumping in the systems. These people really should be brought to book, and maybe somebody needs to be made an example of you know, that I think poses the biggest threat to the system. Mm. But from a grassroots level up, I think that each fisherman has a, an onus on themselves to be fishing barbless hooks uh, and to be returning fish to the river that they've caught and also to avoid things like spawning fish. Uh, yeah, and also, you know, basic things, but, uh, you know, like littering, etc. You know, the small things up, I mean, if we have a lot of respect for the system, I think that it would be a lot easier to, to have a look at the bigger picture and to have a look at the bigger industries cool. that pose a much larger threat than ourselves. Uh, give me some advice for beginners. What are the best things you could tell somebody who's just starting on the sport on how to get going? You know, obviously, beyond buying the right tackle for the purpose and, and getting the right advice, you know, it's very important to get out there and to go and do the fishing. Uh, it's easier asking questions of what did I do wrong once you've done something rather than trying to apply knowledge that um, in a scenario or so that you haven't yet experienced. Mm. Right, let's move on to our quick fire favorites. Uh, favorite dry fly? Steve's indicator caddis. <laughs> favorite nymph? Pheasant tail nymph. Favorite rod? Uh, sage TCR. Favorite venue? Location X. <laughs> favorite species? <laughs> Bonefish. Favorite technique? Dry fly fishing. Favorite gadget or gizmo? Able pliers. Favorite movie? Touching the Void. Favorite author? Thomas McGuane. Favorite book? The Longest Silence. Interesting sightings on a river. I got attacked by a barbel once. <laughs> uh, that was quite a harrowing experience, seeing I was standing alone in the river waving a stick. I'll quote Girach on that. <laughs> Uh, 
other interesting sightings uh, tiger fish devouring other tiger fish while bringing them in you know, most frequently found swimming snake as a puff adder would you believe it or not all <laughs> <laughs> uh, expense paid trip anywhere in the world if you consider the international lawyers' fees, um, bail applications, and uh, multiple passports, probably Aldabra. Yeah, I'm coming with. <laughs> <laughs> all right, thank you, Francois. I really appreciate all the techniques and tips you've given us, and um, I hope that some of the guys are going to take that out to the river and, and use them as much as they can. Uh, we really appreciate that information. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. Thanks very much for having me. They say, you know, life is given But I tell you now, it's all within that river You find yourself in the heart of heaven Close off so long, you could swim forever Face to rest your grace, the silver sands lead the way. The water's golden stories told. Free clouds that white summer days. Fun way to spring today. Take yourself, be right away. Drive six hours to walk five days.